0: Uh, today's scripture reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 to 10. As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word and as they were destined to do. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word.
1: Thanks, everyone, for reading scripture for us. Uh, Good morning, good to see you all here. I know this has been perhaps an anxious week for many of us, and our hearts are troubled and Uh, filled with all kinds of worry or anxiety. So let's uh, quieten ourselves and commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask Him to help us, to settle us, and to hear from His Word. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank You for Your Word. and We pray that as we come around Your truth, we ask that You would settle our hearts, quieten us. Father, we pray that You would give us ears to hear, hearts that are soft, and receptive to Your truth. And Father, we pray that Your Spirit would move powerfully in us, among us, to help us to know You, to trust in You through Your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in His name. Amen. For many years, this painting hung unnoticed near the kitchen of the home of an elderly French woman. You know, this Painting painting looked like a typical religious icon with no particular artistic value. Uh, two years ago, however, when experts were valuing the contents of this woman's home, uh, they made a stunning discovery. So this overlooked painting that hung you know, not too far from her kitchen turned out to be a rare masterpiece from the 13th century. It was painted by the the medieval Italian artist Cimabue, who is considered the father of Western painting. This painting, uh, entitled The Mocking of Christ, was then put on auction. Uh, Guess how much it received at the auction? It was auctioned off at $36 million. So all this this painting had been hanging near the kitchen of this woman's home. Uh, Maybe this will inspire some of us to look at the paintings in our home and maybe put them up for appraisal. This painting was hidden in plain sight until its true value was discovered, realized by these uh, appraisers. Uh, Jesus' followers are like this painting. Right? Jesus' followers are like treasure hidden in plain sight. You know, we live as God's elect, but at the same time, we are also exiles. And, and the term exiles reminds us that we don't belong in this world. So this world sees us as outsiders in a way. So we are treasure, but we're hidden from the side, in the sight of this world. What we will be has not yet appeared. And in the meantime, we live as sojourners. We live as people who don't belong, as people who are headed for a heavenly homeland. And when the world looks at us, the world doesn't see people who look impressive. And as Paul reminds us in his letter to the Corinthians, oftentimes we will look weak and foolish in the world's eyes. And this world will reject God's people. Uh, The world doesn't see us as treasure. I think oftentimes uh, the opposite. 1 Peter was written to believers suffering for their faith believers who lived as exiles and sojourners in the world, believers who didn't belong here and were often rejected because of how different they were from the world. So 1 Peter is written to encourage them. And because these believers chose Jesus over the world, they were often mocked, rejected, and abused by their families, by their friends, by their co-workers, by their bosses. These Christians lost their social standing, they lost their sense of identity, They lost their sense of belonging. They were probably going through somewhat of a crisis of identity because they chose to follow Jesus. And indeed, trials can often make us feel isolated and alone. And trials can also tempt us to distance ourselves from community, even Christian community. You you ever have this experience where you go through some tough times and instead of leaning into the Christian community, tough times actually make us pull away. Maybe we think in our minds that, oh, I'm going through this really tough time, and until I kind of sort this out, I'm not going to be at church. I'm not going to be at CG. I'm not going to meet other Christians until I sort this out. Have you ever had that experience? I know I have. I've thought that in my own heart. So trials can make us pull away from community, even Christian community. We may become less keen to gather as a church. Even as I say this, I I realise that we live in a pandemic and this gathering indeed is a grace grace of God and I'm thankful that we all still choose to come here and spend this morning together in person. Trials can also strain relationships in the church. When we're hard-pressed or stressed in the world, we may take out our frustrations on one another because we are under pressure in the rest of our lives. In in fact, right before this passage, I think it's rather interesting that Peter urges these Christians to put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. These are all relational sins, right? So perhaps trials are pressing these Christians so hard that they are doing these things to one another, right? Envying one another, slandering one another because of the stresses of their trials. When trials come, we may also be tempted to be less fervent for the faith. A a subtle worldliness can creep uh, unnoticed into our hearts, leading us to seek our identity and worth in this world. Maybe trials make us feel like we we need to conform to society in order to fit in. It's too difficult to stand out, so why don't we just fit in? Less, you know, we take the path of least resistance. As the saying goes, if you can't beat them, join them. How shall we live faithfully in a fallen world? You know, As Ollie preached last week, God calls us to be ready to pursue holiness by setting our hope on Christ. And in this passage, Peter holds out hope for us as well. Peter reminds us of how we have the hope of belonging to God as His people. Are we going through a, a crisis of identity? Now, maybe that sounds a bit serious, but you know, maybe, have, maybe we've forgotten or neglected our distinct identity as God's people. You know, think of your past week. You know, how have you lived in this past week? You know, have we considered who we are in Christ? As, as we go to work in the morning, or as we work from home, you know, as we parent, as we interact with our friends, our family members, our spouse, Have we kept our eyes on our identity as God's people? How has our identity made a difference in how we've lived this past week? Has it made a difference in how we've lived this past week? Peter wants us to realize our true value and worth as God's treasure. Like that painting that hung on the wall that was unnoticed until it its value was discovered. So Peter wants us to realise what we are truly worth as those who belong to God. Peter wants us to see ourselves with the eyes of faith. He wants us to regard ourselves as God regards us. He wants us to regard one another as God regards us as well. I, I think when we realise that the other person sitting next to you is God's treasure, you know, maybe we'll treat them a bit differently. Maybe we'll speak a bit differently to them. Peter in this passage reminds us of who we are, that we might draw nearer to God and to one another. You know, once the value of that painting was discovered, you know, obviously it no longer belonged on the wall of the kitchen of that French woman, but the painting was probably displayed to show the creative genius of the artist. You know, it belonged in a gallery where its artists its artistry can be properly put on display. And in a similar way, Peter wants us to know who we are in Christ so that we might be properly put on display, that we might display as God's people the glory of our Redeemer. And in this passage, really the big idea is this. In Christ, the cornerstone, we are God's place and God's people to proclaim God's glory. So that's really the big summary Of our verses this morning. In in Christ the cornerstone, we are God's place and people to proclaim God's glory. So, we're going to unpack this little summary in the rest of our time together over three points. So, number one, in Christ the cornerstone. So, how do we belong to God as his people? How do we receive this new identity? Peter tells us in verse 4 it is by coming to Jesus Christ. You know, we keep coming to Him, present tense. We keep trusting in Him. And He is the Lord mentioned in verse 3. Right? Coming to Jesus means experiencing the Lord's goodness for ourselves, to know, to taste that He is good. You know, if I tell you that the best Mirabus in Singapore is in Angmo, you know that's true, I've, I've had it. It's really, really good. And if I tell you that, you know, I think for you, you think it's probably not enough for you to just hear that. You'd probably be thinking, okay, I need to taste and see for myself. You know, I need to go to Ang Mokyo, I need to go to that Hawker Centre. If you come to find me after the service, I'll tell you what block number it is. Uh, and then you want to taste for yourself. And in the same way, that's what Peter says about coming to this living stone. You know, it's not just about hearing lots of facts about Jesus. It's about trusting in Him right? by, by joining ourselves to Him by committing ourselves to Him by faith. Now, this is especially true for those of us, you know, children, this is for you, especially if you've grown up in a Christian home. It's easy as you grow up in a Christian home to hear lots of facts about Jesus because I trust that your parents are faithful in telling you about Jesus. But this passage reminds us that apart from just hearing lots of things about Jesus, we need to come to Him. We need to trust in Him to to take Him as our Lord and our Saviour, to taste and see that, yes, He is good. And Peter says when we come to Jesus in this way, we belong to God through faith in Christ. Now, who is Jesus? Why should we come to Him? Peter tells us that He is a living stone, verse 4. You know, in several Old Testament passages, God promises to save His people by providing them with a safe place. The stone in these Old Testament passages represents this sanctuary of salvation. For example, in Psalm 118 that we read earlier in the call to worship says, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Isaiah 8, he will become a sanctuary. And the flip side of that, and the stone of offence. Isaiah 28, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And Jesus is not just one stone of many. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation on which God will build His spiritual house. This new temple is built around Jesus. He's the one who gives shape to the whole structure. He's the one who holds everything together as the cornerstone. And we come to Him because He is the only Savior for sinners. He's the cornerstone. There's no one else, no other foundation on which we can build. And He's a living stone because He is alive. He has been raised from the dead. Yet, Peter tells us Jesus, this living stone, was rejected by men. Verse 4, He was crucified as a condemned criminal. But you know, when when Jesus died on the cross, He he didn't die because of His own sins. Jesus had no sin. He was sinless. He perfectly obeyed the Father. Indeed, He went to the cross precisely because He was obedient to the Father. The cross wasn't an accident. It, It wasn't bad things that happened by chance to Jesus. No, He was going to the cross in full obedience to the Father. He was obedient even to death on the cross. So Jesus suffered. He was rejected. He died according to God's will. Jesus died for sinners like us so that we can be forgiven and brought back to God, made right with Him if we trust in Christ alone. This cornerstone And because of Jesus' obedience to His Father, God the Father exalted Jesus as King forever by raising Him from the dead. So Jesus was despised by this world, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, right, or honoured. I think the word precious might be better translated honoured, chosen and honoured by God the Father. And indeed, in chapter 1, verse 20, Peter tells us that Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. The Father loved Him before the beginning of time. The Father set Him apart to be king over God's kingdom before the world even began. He was foreknown. Jesus is God's chosen one, His anointed one, uh, the Messiah, the Christ. So this is who Jesus is. That's why He is eminently suited to be our cornerstone, the living stone. We have all turned away from God. We have all sinned against God who made us for His glory. But instead of worshipping Him and trusting in Him and being thankful to Him, we have lived for ourselves. That's sin. That's what the Bible calls sin. But God, in His grace and love, He sent His Son, His beloved Son, to save sinners like us. So, whoever believes in this cornerstone, whoever tastes and sees that the Lord is good will not be put to shame. You know, in the Bible, the word shame often signifies judgment, right? To be put to shame is to to suffer the judgment of God. So, if we are in Christ, we shall be saved from sin, from death, and judgment. That's why Peter says in verse 7, the honour is for you who believe. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is honoured and then He generously shares His honour with His people. He, he shares His glory with those who come to Him. So this world may despise Jesus and His followers, but Jesus says, don't worry. I share my honour with you. And in me you shall be honoured, not by this world, but by the one whose opinion really matters, by God Himself. Jesus shares His glory with those who trust in Him. We shall be raised with Him. So even though this world rejects Jesus and His followers, those of us who are in Christ, we can take heart. Take heart, beloved. Because God honours His Son, He will also honour us if we are in Christ. But the flip side is true as well. There's a warning here in these verses too. If we reject Jesus, then we will have to bear the guilt and consequences of our sin. You know, Christ is the only cornerstone. There's no other choice, no other saviour. May we not stumble over Jesus So, in Christ, the cornerstone, we are God's place and God's people, which brings us to the second point. So, we may be exiles in this world, but we have the assurance of belonging to God. Now, in the Old Testament, God's place was associated with the temple in Jerusalem. The temple represented God's dwelling, right? It was where God lived among His people. The temple was where God displayed His glory. When when that glory fills the temple, it shows that God is there, that He's present with His people. But due to Israel's sin, as we read in the Old Testament, God's glory left, God's glory departed the temple and the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in the 6th century BC. Uh, The temple was later rebuilt in the time of uh, the people who returned from exile. But interestingly enough, although the structure was rebuilt, God's glory did not return. So the Old Testament comes to an end with the temple rebuilt, but the glory is still missing from the temple. But now, Peter tells us, God has built a new temple, one not made with human hands. Why? Because Jesus Himself is the true temple, you know, He is the fullness of God's glory. In Him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, right? He is the very revelation of the full glory of God. He is the eternal Word of God made flesh come to dwell among us. He is fully God and fully man. as, As John's Gospel tells us, we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth." Jesus is that new temple and He's the foundation on which God is building a new temple. Now, this temple is not made out of brick or stone or concrete or wood. This temple is made up of living stones, not inanimate objects, but living stones, people who have been made alive by Jesus Christ, the living stone. beloved, 17 Mata Road, this building, this is not the church. This building is not the church. This building is simply the venue where the church gathers on Saturday and Sunday. So, friends, we are the church. So, as the church, the building serves us, right? We we don't serve the building. The building is just a place. It's just a convenient gathering point for the church. In the same, this is what this passage is getting at, right? The, the, the church is made up of living stones, of people. People, maybe not forget that, that this building is not the church. We are the church. And because Christ is risen, we share in the power of His resurrection life. That's why in the living stone, we become living stones. You know, recently, I completed a 1,000-piece Jigsaw puzzle with my with my kids. You know, it took us about a week or so to complete it. You know, if you have, if you've ever done the jigsaw puzzle, especially the the very the ones with a lot of pieces and each piece is really small, you, know, you pick up a piece in that jigsaw puzzle and the piece doesn't make a lot of sense. Right? You know, it's this odd shaped piece with maybe different colors or patterns on it, and if you just look at that one piece, it doesn't look very meaningful. Right? It seems just very random, just that one piece. But when, when you find where that one piece belongs, and you put that one piece in that, in you right there in its slot where it belongs, and then you put all the little pieces together, and then you take a step back and you look at the completed puzzle, suddenly it all makes sense, right? Every piece makes sense. It's a coherent whole. The, the, the picture looks beautiful. Every piece has a part in this whole, and the whole gives meaning to each individual piece, and that's exactly how we should think of ourselves as living stones. The whole is much better than each individual living stone. Now, God has saved us as distinct individuals. Each one of us has a story to tell of His grace. But while salvation is personal, it is not individualistic. God didn't just save us as living stones to allow us to continue as living stones. If you look at a pile of living stones, it it just doesn't make a lot of sense. But when you put all those living stones together into a structure, into a building, ah, now you see why those living stones matter. And that's what Peter wants us to see. When when trials tempt us to pull away from community, to isolate ourselves or to to, to try to live the Christian life on our own, Peter reminds us that we're not meant to live as individual, isolated living stones. We're meant to be part of the temple, the spiritual house that God is building. So friend, are, are you trying to live the Christian life on your own? Do you think it's just a matter of you doing your own quiet time? <laughs> I put it to us that just reading your Bible on your own and praying on your own, that's good. that's good. good that you do that, but it's not enough. The normal Christian life is lived in community. Living stones are not meant to be on their own, but what makes sense of the Christian life is when we come together as God's people. I, I say this especially... In this season where it's so easy to become isolated by our circumstances. You know, we work from home a lot, we're told to remain at home. You know, and yes, we should keep safe, but at the same time we need to think about our spiritual well being. You know, are we still finding ways to connect with other living stones for the good of the whole spiritual house? You know, God has gathered us from many living stones into one temple, one spiritual house. You know, this is the amazing thing about the gospel. We're saved individually, but we're saved into something bigger than ourselves. This is what gives us meaning and purpose and significance. God has brought us together to build us up. Our unity and growth come from Him. We need one another in order to grow. We need other living stones and you know, we need to come alongside one another, to encourage one another, to disciple one another. And when I say disciple, you know, it, it simply means to do spiritual good to one another. Right? Read the Bible one another, pray one another, encourage one another, share life together, find ways to speak truth and build up one another. That's, that's what it means to disciple one another, to do spiritual good to one another. You know, come, come and attend this Tuesday's Equip class on discipling one another. Find out why we do it and how we do it. Right? Be intentional about strengthening our life together, especially in this season where it's so easy to become disconnected. You know, join us today for prayer at 3 p.m. as we unite our hearts to ask of our God to, to express our oneness in our dependence on Him. We are a spiritual house, spiritual because God's Spirit lives in us. Therefore, we are God's place. The church may not appear impressive in the world's eyes, but we are God's address in this world. And Peter wants us to know how significant we are in God's plan. The church, not the building, the people, The church is at the centre of what God is doing in the world. We, beloved, are ground zero for what God is doing in the world. I know we don't often think that. That might not be foremost in our minds. But friends, this is true. It's what Peter says of us in this passage. God intends to display His glory in and through us as unimpressive as we may seem in the eyes of this world. In Christ, we are also God's people. Now, in verse 9, Peter takes Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, and he applies it to the church, the new people of God. Exodus 19 says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel." So this origin, in its original context, these words were spoken of Israel after God brought them out of slavery in Egypt. But now, interestingly, Peter takes these very verses and he says this is true of the church. This is who we are as God's redeemed people, redeemed in Christ. Because now that Christ has come, the people of God are no longer defined by family ties. The people of God are no longer defined by ethnicity. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. The people of God are no longer defined by nationality. Whether or not you belong to the nation of Israel, it doesn't matter. And indeed, the Christians that Peter was writing to were a mix of Jew and Gentile, maybe more Gentile than Jews. Because our relationship with God depends simply on our relationship with Jesus, His Son. So, to know God is to know Jesus. So, whether we are Jew or Gentile, male or female, rich or poor, slave or free, we are all one in Christ. We are God's new people. We are a chosen race, chosen elect according to God's foreknowledge, because He set His love on us even before the world was made. We are a new race, right? a new humanity, created in the new Adam, Jesus, the new and better Adam. We are a holy nation, Peter, Peter calls us. You know, in the, new, in the Old Testament, Israel became a nation through a covenant with God. We too have become a nation under God because He has brought us into a new covenant relationship with Him. He has become our God and we have become His people. And and beloved, the good news is that this covenant cannot be broken because it has been sealed with the blood of Christ Himself. The old covenant was sealed with the sprinkling of animal blood, but the new covenant has been established, confirmed by the very blood of God's beloved Son, And through the sprinkling of Jesus' blood, we have been cleansed of our sins and we have been truly made holy, consecrated to God, set apart for His glory. That's why Peter can say of us, we are a holy nation. Holy not because of our works, but holy because Jesus has made us holy. And because of our new identity as God's holy people, there are implications for how we live. Right. You know, like, like immigrants who've moved into a new culture. Right? And when immigrants want to assimilate into the new culture, how do they do it? They, they leave the old culture behind. Right? They begin to take on the practices of that new culture to assimilate. And in the same way, because we have a new identity, we leave the old culture behind. So it's not about whose culture is better, right? Singapore culture, overseas culture this culture, that culture. No, it's not about whose culture is better. It's about how can we leave our cultures behind and take on this new culture, the gospel culture, the culture of Christ Himself. We leave our old life behind. And as elect exiles, we no longer live according to the ways of this fallen world. The world expects us to conform to its values and standards. But following Jesus will put us at odds with the culture. For example, the way we do our jobs, the way we use our money, our views on family, our views on parenting, the goals that we set for our children, the way we view their academic results, good or bad, our views on marriage, our views on gender, our views on sexuality, We leave the old culture behind. It doesn't matter whether we're Singaporean or not. It's not enough to just say, this Singaporean culture, live with it. No, we shouldn't live with it. We should do differently because we are God's holy nation. Therefore, settle it in our minds that following Jesus will not make us popular in the world. Following Jesus will not gain us the world's approval. We will not be thought of as smart, Because we follow Jesus. In Peter's time, the Christians were accused of being antisocial. Christians were known as haters of mankind. Why? Because they refused to do what everyone else was doing. You have a friend like that, you know, maybe you go along and do things with a friend and this friend refuses to kind of do what you all do. You know, you kind of look, what's wrong with you? Why don't you just do what we are? Why don't you just do what all of us do? And Christians were like that in society, right? They refused to fit in and therefore they were cast aside, accused of being antisocial. They didn't follow their friends in indulging in sinful pleasures. They didn't take part in religious rituals with their family members. They didn't work or conduct their businesses unethically. They didn't take part in the state's corruption or injustices. So basically, Christians stuck out like a sore thumb they didn't fit in. And because of this, they were scorned. They were abused, they were maligned, they were marginalized, they were ostracized. You know, I, I think we, we take these things for granted because we live in a country that is relatively good for Christians. But beloved, we need to remember our brothers and sisters in most other parts of the world where they live in very hostile environments. Other either there's state persecution or there's a lot of social persecution. Believers are killed, right? Because they shame their family, because they, they choose to follow Jesus. Believers are still rejected today. The world views us as unloving, ignorant and intolerant because we believe and obey the Bible as God's Word. And societal shifts will make us seem even stranger to the world. For example, our views on gender, our views on sexuality, will increasingly provoke the world's outrage. Following Jesus may cost us family, following Jesus may cost us friends and community in the world. And maybe some of us have had this experience, where because we followed Jesus, we've been cast aside by our family. I know a friend here in Singapore whose family kicked him out of the house because he became a Christian. He had to move out. Uh, His his mom, every time his mom saw anything Christian, she would take it and throw it away. She did that to his Bible. She even did that to his Christian books. So he he began to kind of hide his Christian books in his friend's house so that his mom wouldn't take them and throw them away. Friends, these things happen because we follow Jesus. But take heart, beloved. Beloved. Our hope is not found in this world becoming more hospitable to Christians. Our hope is not found in the culture becoming more Christianized. Our hope is found in our belonging to God. So when we're tempted to compromise and conform to the culture, remember that we belong to God. We are a people for His own possession. So, though though this world thinks little of us, we are God's treasure. And because we are God's treasure, this liberates us. It it frees us from having to live for the world's approval. It, It frees us from having to seek our identity in the passing things of this world, whether it's in our relationship, in sexuality, in wealth, in career, in experiences, in our social media feeds or identity. From our, it, it frees us from having to seek an identity in our reputation or success. We don't have to chase a name for ourselves because God has already given us one. And it's not because of what we've done, but because of His mercy. Verse 10, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received Mercy. So if if we are God's place and God's people, how then should we live as God's church? What does it mean for us? A couple of practical things for us to think about. I think for many of us, we may have to confess and repent of any self-centeredness or individualistic consumerism that we've brought into the church. Have we made the church all about me, my opinions, my preferences my convenience so friends beloved god calls us to turn away from such self-centeredness and it, and to think about the church differently do we cherish god's treasure you know, look look around look around at the people sitting around you you know, tell yourself right this is god's treasure you know, this is not actually this is not our church per se, this is God's church, and we are His treasure. And how does that change the way we relate to one another? How would that change the way we speak to one another? To do, how would that change the way we think of one another, you know, particularly when we don't get along, right? when we have disagreement, when we're unhappy about something? How, how would this understanding that we are God's treasure change the way we relate to one another? Therefore, we should seek one another's spiritual good by helping one another to grow in Christ. And we bear one another's burdens. And we invite others to help us with our burdens, to help us follow Jesus better. Now, this is what it means to live as God's place and God's people. And why does it matter that we live in this way? Because of our purpose. Because of what we have been saved for. Which brings us to our last point. To proclaim God's glory. So in Christ, the cornerstone, we are God's place and God's people to proclaim God's glory. So to be who we are, we must first know whose we are, and this is our purpose, to proclaim the glory of God. We are saved for worship, to glorify God with our entire being and every part of our lives as individual Christians as well as as Christians in community with one another. Our purpose is to be a holy and royal priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, the domain of priests was restricted to the tribe of Levi. But now, Peter tells us all of God's people serve as priests because we all have direct access to God through our great high priest, Jesus Christ, and we all have God's Spirit living in us. So we're all qualified by God to serve as priests. Now, the priesthood of all believers doesn't mean that each of us has the right to do our own thing. The priesthood of all believers doesn't mean that we, each of us is entitled to our own opinions. Far from it, friends. Now, the priesthood of all believers is not democracy. Now, that's a perversion and a corruption of this precious biblical doctrine. Now, such an individualistic understanding of the priesthood of all believers doesn't fit with the context of what Peter is saying in these verses. You know, these verses emphasize what? Unity. Unity in Christ. To be a priest is not about individual rights, but to be a priest, it's about collective responsibility as God's people, To be a priest means to worship God. It means to make Him known. It means to offer sacrifices to Him so that He is glorified. That's what it means to be a priesthood of all believers. It means to represent God in the world, in our relationships, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our gyms, wherever we are. This means, if, we are, if we're all a priesthood of believers, then this means that all of us, all of us, are involved in the work of making and growing disciples of Jesus. You know, we work together as one priesthood. Not many, many priests doing their own thing. You know, we know how that turned out in Judges. Right? But we are one priesthood working together to serve one King, King Jesus. Every member of the church has a part to play in building up the whole temple, the whole body of Christ. We're all consecrated to God's glory and we are a royal priesthood because we represent the King, King Jesus. How do we serve? We offer spiritual sacrifices. Jesus has already sacrificed Himself once for all, sin. Now we offer, not animal sacrifices, but we offer spiritual sacrifices. And what are these spiritual sacrifices? Peter tells us in verse 9, we are to proclaim, speak, declare, proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You know, this, you know, we've, just, you know we've just marked the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, right? And I think if you Google, you can probably find a lot of eyewitness accounts of people who've lived through 9-11. You know, I, I came across a story of a man who was in the World Trade Center building, right, and as the building was collapsing, he ran out. Right? So you can find a lot of these ama- stories of amazing escapes. And even 20 years from, from that time, people are still talking about those stories of amazing escapes. And in the same way, I think Peter wants us to see that we have undergone an amazing escape. We have been saved from darkness into light, an escape that is even more amazing than running away from the, from the falling twin towers of 9-11. Therefore, because we have experienced such a wonderful rescue, we are to declare the glories of the God who has saved us through, his, through the gospel of His Son. Once we were dead in our sins, but now we have been made alive. God has rescued us out of sin's dark domain and brought us into the light of His glorious kingdom. Isn't that worth talking about? Isn't that worth talking about? May we never grow tired of speaking of this amazing rescue that we have experienced through Christ. Therefore, our purpose as God's redeemed people, indeed our reason for being, this is why we live, this is why we exist, our reason for being is to worship our Saviour God, to proclaim His excellencies, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, right? Our chief end. We declare God's praises by speaking of Jesus, by making Him known, so that others might come to know and worship Him as well. You know, as, I said, as, as Piper puts it well, missions exist, Because worship doesn't, right? That's why we do evangelism and missions, so that other people will come to proclaim His excellencies as well. We must also walk the talk, right? If we speak of Jesus, then we need to live in a way that shows Jesus as well. We show Jesus with our lips and with our lives. Truth without life is hypocrisy. Faith without works is dead. Therefore, we are to display God's excellencies by reflecting Christ's character. We follow His example. As Peter tells us in in verse 21, to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. And in our next couple of sermons, we're going to think more about what it means to follow in Christ's steps. We live in a way that shows Jesus' holiness, His grace, His mercy, His compassion, His love, patience, humility, and righteousness. Beloved lives transformed by the gospel commend the truth of the gospel. We glorify God by how we live together as a church. If you see some of those verses in the next slide. We glorify God by how we live in the world how we live at work, how we live in marriage, in society, in suffering. So Peter is going to talk a lot more about this in the rest of his letter. But beloved, as we draw to a close, ponder this question, how do our lives, our life individually as well as our life together as God's people, how do our lives testify to the Gospel? Do we know the value of who we are? We have an exalted calling as a church to glorify God. In Christ, the living cornerstone, we are God's place and people to proclaim God's glory. This is our glorious identity in Christ. So how are we living according to who we are? Let's pray together. Dear Father, we give you thanks and praise indeed for how you have saved us, not because we are deserving, not because we are righteous, but you have saved us by your grace and mercies in Christ. Father, as we come to you now as your people, Father, we pray that you would search our hearts, that you would expose us before you, reveal to us areas in our lives that we have forgotten our identity in Christ, we have sought to live for the things of this world. Father, forgive us. Help us to confess and to repent, to turn back to You. Father, in this moment of quiet reflection, we pray that You would search us by Your Spirit, convict us of areas of disobedience, of rebellion against You, and help us to turn back to You, to know who we are and to trust You with our new identity. Father, we thank you for how you have made us your people, and we pray that as we go forth into the world this week, we pray that we would live in a way that displays your excellencies. Help us to proclaim your glory with our lips as well as with our lives. Help us, we pray, for your sake. and We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.